Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. On that note, if you want to donate, if you donate $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and From John to Justin, and on social media. If you donate $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by you with your name at the start. It's also stated it's sponsored by you on social media. If you donate $20, you get everything from the $5 and $10, plus a second episode sponsored by you and promotion of something you're working on. And if you donate $50, you get everything from the $5, $10, and $20, plus you get to choose a topic for me to cover on Canadian History X. You can also donate at buymeacupofcoffee slash craigu, and all of these links will be in my show notes. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok, where I put up daily videos about Canada's history. Just go to Bairdo37. And if you like, you can find weekly videos about Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash CanadianHistoryX. You can also find transcripts of every episode I've ever done on my website. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. And I'd like to say welcome to the newest patron of the podcast, Mike Sullivan. Well, we've finally come to the end of the line in terms of governors general who came from prominent families or institutions in Britain. After this episode, we'll be delving into the governors general who were born in Canada or spent most of their lives in Canada. Those are the meaty episodes. So with that, let's dive into the story of Harold Alexander, the first Earl of Tunis. Alexander was born on December 10, 1891 to a prominent family. He was the third son of James Alexander, the fourth Earl of Caledon, and Lady Elizabeth Graham Toller, the daughter of the third Earl of Norbury. As a young man, he would be educated at the best schools, and through his youth he excelled at cricket and almost chose to become an artist. In the end, he chose to attend the Royal Military College in 1910. After graduating and earning a commission as a second lieutenant on September 23, 1911, he would be promoted just over a year later to lieutenant. Two years later, the First World War broke out, and Alexander found himself as a platoon commander in the 1st Battalion of the Irish Guards. He would be wounded in battle and sent home, where he was given a temporary promotion of captain on November 15, 1914. This was made permanent on February 7, 1915. In August 1915, he returned to the Western Front and was made an acting major and then an acting commanding officer of the 1st Battalion Irish Guards. He would see several battles, including the Battle of the Somme, where he was awarded the Distinguished Service Order for leading his men into the attack amid heavy gunfire. On August 1, 1917, he was made a permanent major and then promoted to acting lieutenant colonel. And by the end of the war, he was commanding an infantry school. Through the war, he was loved by his men who respected him for his courage in leading them in battle. One soldier under him was Jack Kipling, the son of Rudyard Kipling, and Kipling would write of his son's commander, quote, It is undeniable that Colonel Alexander had the gift of handling the men on the lines to which they most readily responded. His subordinates loved him, even when he fell down upon blistering for their shortcomings, and his men were all his own, end quote. 
In the interwar years, Alexander would remain in the military and would see postings in Latvia, Poland, India, and Gibraltar, among other places. In 1931, he married Lady Margaret Bingham, and together they would have four children together, one of which was adopted. In March 1937, he would be appointed as an aide-de-camp for King George VI and took part in the procession for the king's coronation. Watching from the rooftop of Canada House was Vincent Massey and Georges Vanier, two future governors-general. In October 1937, he was promoted to Major General, becoming the youngest general in the British Army. When the Second World War broke out, he would lead the 1st Division in France for eight months and would help lead the successful withdrawal from Dunkirk and evacuation to England when the Germans invaded. He was the last man off the beach during Dunkirk. In 1940 and 1941, he would serve in England where his forces guarded the coast from a potential German attack and he would also be promoted to Lieutenant General. During this time, Winston Churchill became an admirer of Alexander and would often visit him and recommend him for top postings in the British Army. On January 1, 1942, Alexander was knighted and in February became a full general. He would then lead British forces against the Japanese where his men were rescued by Chinese troops after the British were encircled by the Japanese After commanding forces in Burma, Alexander returned to Britain and then commanded forces in the Middle East and North Africa. The experience and patience of Alexander in North Africa would be credited with helping the field command of the United States there mature and come of age. In May 1943, the Axis forces surrendered and Alexander telegraphed Churchill and said, Sir, it is my duty to report that the Tunisian campaign is over. All enemy resistance has ceased. We are masters of the North African shores. The soldiers under Alexander greatly respected him. One sergeant would say, quote, He was cool as a trout. He never took cover when the bombing and shelling was at its height. End quote. Alexander always operated on the creed of, quote, A soldier must be hard and quick physically as well as mentally. The enemy will hit us hard. We must fit enough to take his blows and return them with interest. End quote. At this point, Alexander took over the 15th Army Group, which would launch the invasion of Sicily. After this was successful, he would help plan the Allied invasion of Italy, which began on September 3, 1943. By sunset, May 11th, preparations had been completed. All along the front, German-dominated heights were under the muzzles of Allied guns. At 11 p.m., they went into action. General Alexander, commander of the Allied forces in Italy, told his troops that to them has fallen the honor of striking the first blow in the great final invasion of Fortress Germany. He would remain in command of the 15th Army Group until December 1944, when he was given the post of Supreme Commander of the Allied forces headquarters responsible for all military operations in the Mediterranean theater. At this point, he had reached the rank of Field Marshal, and he would receive the German surrender in Italy on April 29, 1945. This is the Gaumont British News, presenting the truth to the free peoples of the world. 
proud day for the British and American troops fighting so hard and so well in Italy. But it's modest enough, isn't it, compared with the manner in which they would have entered London. General Mark Clark, General Alexander inspected some of the men who fought their way into this once mighty leg of the Axis Triangle. Events in the West have since overshadowed our great victory in Southern Europe. But this is nonetheless a mighty stride on the road to complete victory. General Alexander has high praise for his men's achievement. The uh, present uh, battle, which has finished its first phase, has been a magnificent success. As the French would say, une belle victoire. But it is only the beginning of more and uh, future great successes. Uh, the capture of Rome, of course, is a great thing in itself. There's no denying that. Great uh, 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 moral value, great political value. But uh, as a military objective, it is only a small importance. But uh, what is important that is that we uh, are achieving what we set out to do, which is to smash the German armies in the field. And we've gone a long way towards doing that. And at the present moment, at the present moment, as you know, uh, as I do, he is in a state uh, of disorganization, having suffered very heavy losses. Uh, our prisoners are well over 20,000. There are 8,000 wounded Germans laying in Rome today, at this moment. And there are many more. Uh, dead, lying on the battlefield. His losses have been very heavy. He's disorganized, and we are chasing. Before the Western invasion was launched, we hoped to be able to present them uh, with a great victory. Uh, and we were just able to do it. We were able to present them with the fact that we'd broken, to, broken through two very strong defended lines, the Gustav Line and the Adolf Hitler Line, uh, and incidentally, that the last and... and uh, uh, a third line, which is the one covering Rome, and smash the German armies in the field and take Rome. And that is the uh, uh, present we gave our brothers in the West just before they set, set off on their expedition across the Channel. The Windsor Star would say of him, quote, Lord Alexander was one of the great leaders of the war. He proved his leadership in both adversity and success. From the very first of the war, Lord Alexander could see far ahead. It was Lord Alexander who went to Burma and extricated our troops from a situation as precarious as Dunkirk. It was Lord Alexander who went to Cairo and formulated the plans to drive the Italians out of the war and Germans out of Africa. End quote. After the war in 1946, he was invited by Prime Minister William Lyne Mackenzie King to become the new Governor General of Canada. At the time, he was about to become the Chief of the Imperial General Staff, but Churchill said, quote, Canada is a much more important post, end quote. Alexander chose to accept the post, and he retired from the army. Among the greatest British soldiers of our time is the man who was in command during the great victories in Africa and Italy, seen here with some of the men who fought under him in those historic battles, Field Marshal Sir Harold Alexander. In the war, his name made big news, and it made news again when he was chosen to be the new Governor-General of Canada. 
During the long years of fighting, he saw all too little of his family. But now he's back and his two boys, Brian, age six, and elder brother Shane, age ten, can swank to their friends about the German souvenirs that dad brought home. The Alexander's home, the Vale, stands in the midst of Windsor Forest, a perfect spot for the walk Sir Harold loves to take with Lady Alexander, Rose, Shane and Brian, not forgetting Tessa the dog. Back home again, Shane and Brian forget about German pistols and become just two small boys making father do a bit of hard work. Now for a bit of tough tactics. Sir Harold believes in keeping his boys commando fit with plenty of rope ladder climbing. One of these days may be they'll be famous soldiers like their father. On April 12, 1946, he was sworn in as Governor General in the Senate chambers. King would write in his diary that day, quote, When I met Lord Alexander, I extended to him warmest welcome to Canada and also to Lady Alexander and said how pleased we all were that he had arrived mentioned to him about being pleased to see him, end quote. Alexander told King that he was able to drive the train engine for part of the way. King would learn later that there had been a breakdown on the railroad, and Alexander's engine had to help pull the other train out. At one point on the train journey at Campbellton, New Brunswick, Alexander and his family and dogs got out of the train for a quick stop at the station. Children from the schools in the area were having recess and they began to race to the station, forcing the RCMP to hold the crowd back. The line broke and the children swarmed the viceregal family, nearly trapping them against the train. The Ottawa citizen described it, quote, He stood unperturbed, smiling and waiting for the crowd to part. The youngsters really screamed when the children appeared with the three now-famous dogs, end quote. The town would dub it the Campbellton Stampede. Canada's Parliament and people joined in giving a warm welcome to their new Governor-General, Field Marshal Lord Alexander of Tunis. Looking rather unfamiliar in his formal civilian attire, Lord Alexander is greeted in Ottawa by Prime Minister Mackenzie King. An inspection of the Royal Canadian Air Force Guard of Honour, and then the whole party entered Parliament buildings where Lord Alexander was sworn in as the 17th Governor-General of Canada. The ceremony over, another great ovation followed as Lord and Lady Alexander prepared to drive away to Government House. All along the route was the same affectionate greeting for the gallant soldier whose leadership endeared him to every Canadian fighting man under his command. At the end of the journey, a word with one of the escort before the Governor-General enters his new home. 
And here in the garden, the camera catches this charming family group. May they find much happiness in their new life and work among a great and generous people. At the House of Commons, there was a huge crowd of people ready to greet the new Governor-General. King would write, quote, I was greatly surprised and immensely pleased when I came around and from the side street to Wellington Street and saw the crowds in front of the station in the hotel also leading up to Parliament Hill, end quote. The Vancouver Sun wrote of the crowds, quote, Huge crowds of spectators gathered in brilliant sunshine to extend the capital's first welcome to the new Governor-General. A round of cheering from thronged spectators cheered the viceregal couple as their car drove up to the Parliament buildings, end quote. King would then write about his opinion of Alexander and his personality. He would write, quote, I can see that Alexander will not tolerate anything that is not strictly correct, that he is right in that. I told His Excellency that I thought perhaps I had been a bit spoiled at Government House and of the close friendship I had with different governors and may have left most things assumed or undone that otherwise I should pay attention to, end quote. Alexander would say in a speech, stating, after he described his taking of Rome in the Second World War, quote, can you doubt, then, that I and my wife are proud and happy to come here with our children to make our home and to live amongst you? End quote. This would be the last governor-general to serve with King. Since 1921, six governors-general had been in office for at least part of the time that King was prime minister. In 1948, after 21 years and 154 days as prime minister, he would retire. And then King would pass away on July 22, 1950. Alexander would say on that day, quote, Lady Alexander and I have lost a very dear friend, end quote. He would also interrupt his West Coast holiday to return to Ottawa to attend the funeral of King. As Governor General, Alexander committed himself to traveling the country and meeting directly with Canadians through ceremonies and events. Over the course of his time as Governor General, he traveled an incredible 294,500 kilometers averaging 49,000 kilometers per year. During one trip to the Yukon, he took a trip to the wilderness, which took two hours by motorboat, two hours by jeep, and two hours of walking. The family would also visit the Calgary Stampede, ski in the Gatineau Hills, and spend summers at Cape Breton. During his visit to the Calgary Stampede in 1950, he received a square dance lesson after attending a chuckwagon dinner. One boy would ask him if he was a cowboy. Alexander would state, quote, I didn't have the heart to disappoint him, so I said I was. As a matter of fact, I wasn't telling a fib. The first thing I learned to ride as a boy in Ireland was a young bull calf, and it never threw me. That's more than can be said for some of those cowpunchers in Calgary. End quote. They would also visit the Rocky Mountains, where they were described as delighted when they saw a beaver working on a dam in Banff National Park. Lady Alexander would say years later, quote, Oh dear, oh dear. The things we remember and will always remember. It's endless. Canada is like no other place in the world. End quote. Lord Alexander would say, quote, About Canada, you are always conscious of the bigness, the cleanness, the directness, the brightness. What we liked especially was the way the people took their time to make up their minds about us. End quote. Throughout his travels, he would almost always meet with veterans as a first priority, no matter the city he visited. 
Alexander would also begin a serious effort to learn French so he could speak directly with French-speaking Canadians during his travels. A lover of sports, he took part in many activities including hockey, football, golf, fishing, and rugby. In 1946, he would agree to kick the opening ball at the Grey Cup. To get ready for this, he would practice at Rideau Hall so he could nail the kick in front of the fans. The Ottawa Journal would write, quote, The Governor-General's love of sport is well known to most followers of spectator events, particularly hockey and football, end quote. During a visit to northern British Columbia in 1947, he threw out the first pitch in a game between Poos Coop and Dawson Creek. The Edmonton Bolton wrote, quote, The Governor-General was a long way off the plate on his first pitch. He asked for another ball. This time, the batter, Joseph Corsby, CCF member of the BC Legislature, hit it to the shortstop and was thrown out at first. The ball was returned to pitcher Alexander. He promptly put it in his pocket. End quote. Alexander also met with the Indigenous throughout Canada and was made an honorary chief of two tribes, including the Blackfoot, and he was also presented with a totem pole that sits at Rideau Hall to this day. In 1947, Prime Minister King issued letters patent that granted the Governor-General permission to exercise all the powers belonging to the monarch in respect to Canada. In 1949, Alexander oversaw the admission of Newfoundland into Canada, and he would tour the province in the summer. He would plant a tree in Bowring Park in St. John's, and state that he was overwhelmed by his reception in the community. Alexander always had a high belief in the future of Canada. During a visit to the Canadian National Exhibition in August 1949, he would state that in his travels throughout the country, he had seen the old spirit of enterprise displayed by pioneers had paid dividends. He would add, quote, As I see it, you have in this huge land mass a potential wealth which is only just beginning to yield its riches. Much of it is difficult to get at and develop, but as the population increases and scientific research plays its part, it is no exaggeration to say that the future wealth and greatness of Canada is assured. End quote. In 1950, as the acting commander-in-chief, he would oversee the deployment of Canadian soldiers to fight in the Korean War. He would review 6,000 troops at one point who were getting ready to go to Korea. He would tell them, quote, Always remember that this struggle in Korea is against communism. The fight will not only be in the front line when you are in actual combat, but it will go on all the time from the moment you leave these shores until you return, end quote. Throughout his time as Governor General, Alexander traveled abroad on official trips, including to visit Harry S. Truman in Washington, and he would also visit Brazil and host several dignitaries in Ottawa. In 1951, Princess Elizabeth and her husband, Prince Philip, made their first trip to Canada. The visit was thanks to not only Lester B. Pearson, then Secretary of State, but also Alexander, who was instrumental in it having happened. Down from the clouded skies over Montreal's Dorval Airport, in true ferry book tradition, comes a welcome visitor, our future queen, Princess Elizabeth, followed by her prince, the Duke of Edinburgh. Here to unofficially greet the royal couple is Governor General Alexander and our Prime Minister, Louis Saint Laurent. The 18,000-mile royal tour officially opens in Quebec's provincial capital. I'll also mention, tomorrow, I have an episode on the 1951 visit by Princess Elizabeth on my other podcast, Canadian History X. Alexander would organize a square dance in the ballroom of Rideau Hall, 
and he would also, at one point, leave the royal tour and go fishing, something he always enjoyed. It was said his favorite fish to catch were salmon and trout, which he would journey throughout Canada to find. In his tenure as Governor General, Alexander was extremely popular. This was because of his informal attitude as Governor General, but also for his military reputation that was still fresh in the minds of many in Canada. He was also very charismatic, and he had the ability to communicate easily with people. Alexander's time as Governor General had actually been extended by a year by Prime Minister Louis Saint Laurent, with the expectation that it would end in April of 1952. But it was Winston Churchill who ended the term sooner than expected. On January 28, 1952, his time as Governor General came to an end, as did the stretch of Governors General who had come from England. It was time for a Canadian to take on the post. But that's a story for the next episode. I am speaking to you on my departure from Halifax, where I am about to embark for England to take on further responsibilities of national importance. And I leave you on a sad and sorrowful occasion when we mourn the loss of a beloved king who it was my privilege to serve as his personal representative in Canada. If time had permitted, I would have liked to have made a final tour of the country to bid you farewell in person. But unfortunately, that was not possible. So I must send you my message of farewell over the air. You can rest assured that I leave you and Canada with great regret. It is not my personal wish to go before my term of office as your Governor General is ended. But I go because I believe that it is my duty to take on other responsibilities which I have been asked to assume. Let me tell you that my wife and I have spent the happiest six years of our life here in Canada amongst you, and that our children, who have grown up as young Canadians, love this country and its people as we do. For us, Canada has become our second home, and we shall always look upon it as such. In handing over my responsibilities as Governor-General, I am glad that it is to someone who is not only a personal friend of mine, but one who is a distinguished and well-known man who has all the attributes and qualifications which will make him a worthy representative of our Queen. I feel sure that you will give him the support and trust which you so generously gave me. After he left Canada, he would take on the role of British Minister of Defence on the request of Prime Minister Winston Churchill. He had given up the role of Governor-General to take this post, and he would say, quote, I simply cannot refuse Winston. End quote. This is Godfrey Talbot calling Radio Newsreel from the liner Franconia at Liverpool. And here with us is Lord Alexander at the end of his term of office as Governor-General of Canada, about to disembark and take the train to London. Lord Alexander, may we welcome you to this country and hope you've had a good trip and ask you how you feel at leaving Canada after this long term of office. 
Well, thank you very much, Mr. Talbot, for your kind welcome. Um, I've had a very enjoyable trip. Uh, and you asked me uh, what I felt about leaving Canada. Uh, well, I can tell you that for the last six years, uh, I've had a most interesting and enjoyable time. And my family and I have come to look upon Canada as our second home. But I returned to the United Kingdom uh, before my term of office as Governor General expired uh, to take on uh, further responsibilities of national importance. I am happy to uh, render what service I can uh, for my country when such service is needed. I, but I feel it uh, my duty to accept the responsibilities which I have been asked to assume. I will do all I can uh, to help towards the preservation of peace which we all uh, desire uh, by building up the deterrent strength of our armed forces uh, in association with those of other peace-loving nations. May we ask you, sir, when you will take over your new office? Um, I actually take over from the Prime Minister on March the 1st, but uh, I've still got a few days ahead of me and I shall spend those days uh, in trying to get into the picture. Well, thank you and may we wish you all success in your new office and a very good term and a very good journey. Thank you very much, Mrs. Godfrey. His time as Governor General was described by the Red Deer Advocate, quote, Alexander broke down many of the formalities that had attended functions at Government House and in the performance of his duties on state occasions. He wore his uniform as a field marshal of the British Army when the function required it, but preferred informality, end quote. During the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II, he was given the honor of carrying the sovereign's orb in the state procession. In 1954, he retired from politics, and from 1960 to 1965, he served as the Constable of the Tower of London. An avid painter, he would have his work displayed at the Royal Academy. All three paintings displayed showed Canadian views. Maclean's wrote, quote, The significance of this was twofold. The obviously paint of beauty of Canada, and the fact that Canada to him had meant leisure to do what he wanted for the first time in his busy and full life. Canada was the first after-the-war home for the Alexander family. The fact in itself will always enrich their Canadian memories. End quote. Throughout these years, he considered Canada's second home, and he would often visit the country. They would visit over the years, including in 1944, and in 1958, he would actually suffer a severe heart attack while visiting Canada and spent several weeks in hospital in Ottawa. Maclean's would write, quote, Alexander often plans a fishing cabin in the Laurentide Hills. Lady Alexander talks wistfully of Canadian kitchens. Young Brian only lives for the time when he's finished with Harrow and can enter McGill. And Rose Alexander, McGill's student, spent last summer as an employee of Jasper Park Lodge. London rain may lash at London squares, but for the Alexanders, in frequent conversations at home and with friends, Canadian sun always shines in Canada. It is a happy memory. End quote. In June 1969, Alexander fell ill and was unable to attend the Queen's annual Trooping the Colour ceremony. He was then taken to a nursing home where x-rays found that he had suffered an artery rupture. He was quickly rushed to hospital where a team of doctors worked to save his life. 
On June 16, 1969, at 3 a.m., he would pass away. Last salute. Field Marshal Earl Alexander, the soldier-soldier, as he was known, was attending his last parade. To St. George's Chapel, his friends and comrades escorted him. There, he was to receive full military and garter knight honours, and slowly the funeral procession approached the Royal Chapel. The crowds lining the route were silent. Mr. Harold Macmillan, former Prime Minister and an ex-Guards officer, was amongst many famous people who came to pay their last tribute to Lord Alexander of Tunis. The Union Jack-draped coffin with the Field Marshal's cockade and baton and a simple wreath on it was readied for its solemn journey up the steps and into the chapel for the funeral service. It was carried by a bearer party from the Irish Guards, Alex's old regiment. Of the great soldier, the Dean of Windsor spoke these words of praise for a man of courage and companionship in war, leadership and integrity in government, and generous and ready friendship. Those who knew Earl Alexander could find no better tribute. Governor General Missioner would say in a statement to Lady Alexander, quote, Our first thoughts are for you and your family who are most closely affected. We offer our profound sympathies and our prayers. I hope it will be a comfort to you to be assured that Canadians, many of whom served under your husband's command in the last war, will always think of the field marshal with admiration and great respect for his leadership. End quote. Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau would say that the House of Commons was grieved to learn of the passing of Alexander, saying he built close ties with Canada. He would say, quote, He held a special place in the hearts of all of us. End quote. Flags on the Peace Tower and throughout the government buildings we put at half-mast to honour him. For his funeral at Windsor Castle, the RCMP would take part as part of the Guard. Today, two schools in Manitoba and Ontario are named for him, as is a park in Ottawa. I hope you enjoyed that episode and our look at Harold Alexander. Next week, we're looking at Vincent Massey. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to canadaehx.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Mike Sullivan. Wendy Mills. Keelan Pregnitz, Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobbs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseeth, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Library and Archives Canada, Canadian Encyclopedia, McLean, CBC, The Churchill Project, Wikipedia, Vancouver Sun, Windsor Star, Ottawa Citizen, Victoria Times Colonist, Edmonton Bolton, North Bay Nugget, Edmonton Journal, Regina Leader Post, Montreal Star, Nanaimo Daily News, and The Red Deer Advocate. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.